Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Work It. Work It is a new podcast all about entrepreneurs who happen to be women. Hosted by me, journalist Angelica Malin, brought to you in collaboration with WorkLife. WorkLife believe that work doesn't have to feel like work. In fact, they think you can blend your work with your life to create a lifestyle you love all the time, not just outside the nine to five. So how exactly do they achieve this? By creating modern, bright workspaces, hinged on community, collaboration and a vibrant, nurturing culture where you can truly live and thrive. Come and discover WorkLife Way and find out more at work.life. to work it thank you so much for joining me today guys so i'm joined by sarah johnson of the akin and rhiannon monks of travel talk so if you could just introduce yourself and your business um the akin is a global collective of consultants which work on brand strategy and um narratives and creative uh content fantastic rhiannon about you uh, what does your career entail well i've just recently launched a mobile app it's uh, a travel application and it helps travelers in a city connect with other travelers nearby to meet up and explore they can also split the cost of travel and sell items they no longer need when they're leaving fantastic um so let's rewind a little bit and talk about your journeys to where you are now so how did the idea come about for the consultancy the idea came out of spotting an opportunity to um disrupt and make things better although that's a personal opinion um we uh, myself and my partner Anna um, had worked previously together in other agencies and seen that there was a kind of outdated and quite opaque model for the way that clients were commissioning projects with agencies and wanted to challenge the reasons of the age-old question well that's just how it's done um, and show that actually doesn't have to be done that way. So you want to do something like totally different with how you approach projects? Yes, and challenge the status quo. So um, a lot of big agencies are quite opaque and quite rigid and they make lots of big promises um, and often either deliver them kind of averagely or deliver them very expensively and very slowly. And we wanted to create something which was more transparent and centred around 
being human and being honest and being as flexible as possible. So are these creative campaigns, like branding campaigns that you're talking about? Um, it can range from anything from a brand business model or a brand's like core architecture or values to, yeah, a campaign or a final piece of content or an event or anything. So it's basically just like creative, anything creative that a brand wants to do. Yeah. Fantastic. And Rihanna, tell us about uh, Travel Talk and how, how the idea came about and how you came to launching the business. So over the last 15 years, I've travelled to 80 countries and wow. uh, I did so yeah, mostly with a backpack and I have uh, a very strong understanding of the travel community as a result. And um, for a time, I was also an Airbnb super host, which meant I had people stay in my house in my spare bedroom. And um, at the time, I was often busy and I couldn't show them around the city uh, and I found that there was therefore a lot of people uh, in, a, in a city at the same time staying in Airbnbs but they weren't able to connect with each other and um, it, I sort of realised that you know 15 years ago that was still the case um, however you tended to sort of congregate in hostel common rooms and now people were sort of uh, with social media able to sort of plan as they went but they weren't often able to connect with other people or identify who was um, traveling nearby. Um, but sort of as part of that, when I, when I wanted to launch this mobile application, um, I didn't want it to get confused with dating apps um, or also I didn't want it to have um, a sort of vanilla identity. I wanted it to really um, represent what travel means for people, that it's discovery, exploration. It shouldn't be pre-planned because um, really for this app is aimed at a 18 to 35 year old audience. And I don't know about you guys, if you've traveled a lot, but certainly one of the things that most young people want to do is discover as they go, rather than have to have a formulaic approach to mm. traveling. Fantastic. And how do you actually like get these ideas off the ground? So you've both run very different businesses, but what you had was the confidence to go out and do something on your own. Um, something I find a lot of people ask me is, is when should I quit my job? When's the right time? How should I know that this is the right project? Did you have like an instinct about that, that this was the one that you wanted to pursue? Like Sarah, with you, did you always have the idea to run your own consultancy? No, I didn't. <laughs> Although my parents joke that they always thought that I would. Um, no, I worked for a lots a couple of quite big agencies and thought that I was quite happy being in that comfortable space and uh, the more I actually got more senior in those spaces the more I realized that that wasn't actually where I felt the most comfortable mm. um, and I guess you don't know when the right time is for me it was when I was getting out of bed and not wanting to go to work and realizing that I just wasn't fundamentally proud of what I was working on or happy about the decisions I was having to make mm -hmm. um and that's when I think that was the final so it was kind of like desire not to do something rather than like I know this is the one but I just don't want to go do the work that I'm doing right now um I think we'd already had a discussion about the idea of the business and Anna was feeling similar to me and I think we had already a, a brief business plan but it was wasn't in any way formulated properly and we had a very late Anna lives in Berlin I should mention um a very brief um late night Skype conversation and she kind of texted me saying I think we should both resign and then that was kind of it that was so it, it forced our hand to get on with it it's kind of fated yeah and how did your um your kind of journey to this point come about when did you know it was the right time to pursue it 
when I did travel, I used to always spot ideas um, and opportunities and think, wouldn't it be great to bring these home? Um, but you're usually traveling with little cash and you can't really put that into action. And mm-hmm. most people, I suppose, that have known me over the years would say that I always had ideas um, that they liked. But I guess, you know, we have to go into real time, <laughs> real employment at some point. So I worked in advertising um, and media for about 10 years. And I did some great campaigns for some wonderful brands. And I sort of got to the point where I thought, well, actually, a marketing campaign is always kind of the same for me. You know, you get a brief, you get to plan this wonderful thing, you activate it, and then you move on. And I thought, well, I love traveling. And I still have this, you know, belief that I have an idea inside of me that I would like to bring to market. And um, I arrived on this mobile application idea uh, based on the testing that we'd done and sort of the feedback. And um, I was sort of just nearing to the point where I thought career-wise, it was good to to take that plunge. So it was, yeah. But do you think everything that you learned in those 10 years kind of carried through to what you're doing now? Absolutely. Yeah. Especially at the moment as I'm raising investment and also I'm about to do a big marketing push. So um, we have an app, people are downloading it, but they need to understand how to use it. So a very fundamental part of our app is creating a card um, that other people can see. And if they don't understand how to use the app, they won't be using it. So it's that sort of understanding of brand education and mm. brand identity and also how you share a message with particular audiences at particular times that I bring through into being able to launch my app. Yeah, which I think is really good advice because I hear so often people saying like, oh, just do it, just go for it. And I'm an unusual example in that I've never really had a job. I did about time straight out of university, no experience, and I've never had what, what felt like a formal job or a nine to five and I think that served me well in that I wasn't so scared and I didn't I've never had a structure so I've never known one but I think there's there is such a value in doing a good stint within companies and really like learning some ropes before you go out and do your own thing I think we feel kind of panicked about entrepreneurship sometimes you just have to run with it and actually being a bit more like calm about things and perhaps doing it over time is a good way to go how can you um build up your confidence with your own projects like speaking to people trying to get clients trying to convince people about your app idea especially with women i find that they can be quite shy about um their own projects and building up confidence is that something that you've learned along the way or did you always feel quite confident in what you were doing i think for me confidence grows through experience like knowing that i've been in those meetings when I've been in bigger agencies meant that I felt like I could do that on my own and I think women have a tendency to self-deprecate a lot Mm. um, or be a bit shyer about pushing their um, ideas because they're a bit I don't know I think there's a bit more of a fear factor of like letting yourself explain something Um, and I think um, having like a business partner which is also a woman and also having a group of peers and like a a group behind me that I can help ask questions about whether that's like in all companies or friends and they feel like a support network yeah have given me the confidence to know that it was the right thing to do and I'm making the right decision kind of building a good network around yeah I think that's really important to feel like even if it had failed that they were going to be there and it was okay what kind of routes have you taken to build that network I think it's I went to university with some great people that I'm still like in the industry and I'm still friends with even like childhood friends that are still living in London and they're like women in business which are doing really amazing things my parents started their own company when they were like 25 they're still running it and yeah just generally you meet people in cities when you work in jobs like this that become 
long-term friends, I think. Yeah. I think the pressure, <laughs> like, of being in that environment, you get to know people really well, really quick. Yeah. <laughs> and that's yeah, why they're still friends, I guess. And Rianne, how about you? How did you kind of build your confidence to do what you're doing now? So definitely through my past work experience, I got to sort of direct a level in those companies. Um, so I do feel a little more confident when I sit in boardrooms presenting information because I have a sort of expectation of what um, I believe people expect. But having said that, I think when I was in industry, I did sometimes suffer from insecurity because you've got a lot of pressure around you. You know, you want to be perceived as though you're doing the right thing for your client, um, for your boss, and also if you're managing a team. Um, and sometimes you don't have full control over that. Whereas actually, conversely, with a startup, you know, everything actually stops with me, <laughs> whether I like it or not. Um, but in turn, you sort of build your own confidence because you get the front line responses and in response to that you sort of go okay I'm going to change or develop and I I just felt more confident representing myself than representing someone else Mm. yeah and like knowing your own mind do you find it hard to not um like have someone to go to like I find sometimes like I'll have an idea and I I have people that work for me but like like you said the buck stops to me and like well what if this idea isn't great and there's no one really to tell you that whereas when you're in a corporate environment you've got like a line manager there's a lot more kind of feedback do you find it sometimes overwhelming knowing that the buck stops with you and that you could make perhaps the wrong decision um because I was at a level in my previous employment where I had to make those decisions on a daily basis and often those decisions had quite a significant impact globally I was used to that type of decision making but certainly when it is your own business and literally the wrong decision could mean that you know you spend money in the wrong area and actually almost sort of um, hamper your startup or, or impede your startup growth. Um, so, so there is that fear, but um, I think I, I'm so lucky to have a great group of people around me and you can't get far in startup life without listening to others. Mm-hmm. And if you think it's only your way that's going to succeed, you will most likely fail. So I just try to pick people to work around me that are very much like-minded and I rely on them for their expertise rather than saying I am the expert here and do what I say so I try and encourage people to tell me as often as possible that I'm wrong or that they don't like something that I'm doing doesn't always mean I'll listen to it because there are so many people that want to give you advice and sometimes that's confusing too because you just have all these channels of people saying do this do this and you have to have a clear vision Mm -hmm. to um, keep your north star but overall, I think it's best to welcome as much feedback as possible. Yeah, especially also the kind, like the kind of advice we're given, and from whom. Like my mum and parents were giving me advice, and like it's really sweet. But like, and people that don't know your industry or don't know your demographic, it's not always. I'm always like, mm, yeah, thank you, but you can't take on everything. Um, you mentioned about finances, like that's like such a big thing for going alone and starting your own business. Do you have any tips to share on kind of how to get your finances in order? How to feel kind of comfortable um in perhaps a business plan or or also raising investment did you have like much of an idea of how the finances of the business were going to work yeah um Anna my business partner had run an agency in Berlin so was already very comfortable with knowing exactly what we needed to get in place in order for this to work and obviously being at a level in a business where you're writing proposals and you're understanding billable hours and building budgets for your team you get quite comfortable with knowing what's realistic and what's not Mm. um I think something we actually did at the beginning was underestimate ourselves 
um, especially when you go for things like ins- liability insurance. There's lots of stuff you kind of have no idea about when you're working for an agency. And they were like, how much do you might earn? And we really lowballed it. Mm. And actually, I think upon reflection, maybe we should have been a bit more confident that we were going to bill as much as we have. Yeah. Not that that's loads of money, but I think just being a bit more open-minded about finances rather than being like really really rigid and probably a bit too controlled Mm. and less yours is also like an unusual structure in that you have like consultants that are working for you so you're billing a client but you're also paying people out and it's a slightly more complicated model yes but um but that's i mean that terrifies me but (laughs) if it works for you that gets fantastic i suppose i suppose it's also having good relationships with the consultants that you're bringing in yeah so we um the really lean we have really no overheads apart from things like co-working discs and insurance and um travel expenses so we don't have big offices we pay for our own equipment we started we literally had no money mm-hmm. like we didn't have any we didn't put in any investment um so yeah i think we make sure that we have really good payment terms with our clients and we explain properly why we have those payment terms um and then also our consultants are always put first so they get paid way before we get paid and we make sure that we're not asking someone to work for free and that we're not Mm. using people and actually we found that clients which are really big brands that you would expect to ask for 90 day payment and all sorts of other stuff have actually been really open really about our new model and actually a lot of them have been happy to adjust to like 10 days payment just because they've explained why yeah and rather than like being demanding and so that's really good advice on just kind of being confident with the payment terms that work for you and your company and then putting those in place yeah we we work with a few freelancers that want to be paid on the day of their invoice and like sometimes we'll do it sometimes we won't but if they're given a good enough reason like you sometimes you just have to make it work if you really want to work yeah. with someone. So yeah. that kind of confidence. Exactly. Rianne, how did you get the financial side of the app kind of up and going? How did you plan for it? So um, I had initial investment of uh, £80,000 uh, sort of prior to launching. And at the moment, we're currently raising our seed. And um, yeah, I've just got used to asking people for money, which is a very strange <laughs> thing because... You know, it's just not, I've never gone out and asked people for money for any other reason. And you're asking for large amounts of money, which of course, you know, depending on who you're asking personally, that can seem like quite an obscene amount or a normal amount. Um, and it took me a while to, to get used to that. So especially in agency life, you're used to kind of planning everything, getting everything ready and then pushing the button. And so I did a lot of that, um, and, and tried to get my app as far as possible before I guess I needed further money so that I felt like I could leverage the effort and time and obviously the product because the proof is actually in launching something, not just talking about it. And so once once we got um, live, which we are now, um, I, ver- I sort of gave myself less time, if that makes sense, to raise uh, cash. Um, but at the same time, I felt like now I have something to show people when mm. when they ask, well, where would my money go? Um, but yeah, basically daily at the moment, I'm sort of just getting used to to, to treating that like a normal conversation. Essentially, at the moment, I consider myself a bit of a salesperson selling a product, which happens to be travel talk. Yeah, that's amazing. And kind of almost distancing yourself a little bit away from the product rather than being like, this is me and I'm the founder, but this is a product that I've created. Was the first round of investment VC? No, it was um, just a private investor who, you know, I knew personally that 
believed in the idea because it's really hard to get investment when you've got sort of some specs and an idea on a piece of paper. There's so many pitfalls that you can kind of fall down along the way. Um, so it takes a special person to actually believe in somebody before you've got an app live. And then the conversations I'm having now vary between private, institutional and some VCs at the mm. moment, although we're still quite early stage for that because we are just looking to kind of introduce our app and obviously encourage people to use it so did you find any difference with being a woman and going after investment like did you feel that at all yeah every day Mm. I mean it's it's a tough one I do a lot of um pitch events and I've been to paradigm talks twice and I found the 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 reception rather um difficult um Mm. they are not very polite um and i think what what i've found is i've I've spent some time in silicon valley with my last company late motion and also i work with a lot of americans um here who are sort of have have been invested in previously and we agree that the climate in london for investment is still slightly old-fashioned and it's very much on the side of the investor who says i have money therefore listen to what i say um whereas in the u.s you see a little bit more of the respect towards the founder to say, wow, it really takes a lot to get a product to this point. Therefore, we do respect that. And of course, you need our money, but we respect you in that process. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, we've never gone after investment, but I just, I know from friends um, who are female founders how difficult that process has been. And so often they'd, uh, I have a friend who went into a meeting and they were waiting and they were like, well, wh- where's your husband or where's your partner coming to talk for you? Like, they don't expect a woman to just go in and be like, I'm here for investment or, you know. Um, but uh, hopefully that climate will change a bit. It's sort of a dragon's den like approach to just like, I've got money, like, and then being kind of rude. Very nice. Um, how would you build um, a team around you and like, getting finding the right people to hire the right consultants how can you kind of build a network that really benefits your business and also like they feel really part of and excited how did you find your consultants um all of the people that are in our network we've worked with before to some capacity i think that was one of the learn like drivers for the business really is that i'd worked freelance previously and anna had hired a lot of freelancers um in her old agency and actually a lot of the times they hired me cold, which was great while I was freelance because I didn't think about it, but actually was kind of a risky move for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but also found that because they didn't know me, I felt like an alien in the office. Like I was just a random person that might be there for a week mm. <laughs> or like nobody spoke to me. <laughs> um, and actually that's not very nice or very like empowering to work with someone. And so we... You feel kind of disposable. Yeah, you really feel like that. And you also feel... Um, I wouldn't say unsafe is the right way, but like unprotected, because you don't. They could literally end your contract tomorrow unless you've got a really good signed like scope of work with them or whatever it is. But actually, you don't know whether or not it's going to be long term, even though they've said it is, and you don't know if they're going to pay you on time. You don't know if you know. There's lots of like unknowns, and you feel very like insecure in where you are. And I think we don't want anyone to feel like that. So we only work with people we've worked with before that have been recommended because of a reason and we look after them and make sure that they're working in safe spaces or they have protection. If we're sending someone out to an interview, for example, in Tokyo, we want to make sure that they got there safe, that they returned home safe, that they didn't have an un- like an uncomfortable experience. Mm-hmm. If we're asking people to work late in offices, like they feel okay about that and 
we try and make them feel like they're part of our team rather than just like a hired hand which yeah. is often what happens I guess it's like treating freelancers like their staff yeah like their full time and yeah. that level of care yeah people are can be very disposable to freelancers and they kind of go yeah. through them it can yeah it's quite a disposable culture it's also trying to connect them to each other kind of realize that a lot of freelancers we work with don't actually know many of the freelancers in their city unless you're working you're quite well known or you've got a lot of experience you could not actually know anyone else that's freelancing mm-hmm. so we're trying to build towards like actually really creating communities which don't actually evolve us technically but encourage like people in our network to meet and work together even if they're working on different client projects or they should use travel talks okay <laughs> they can um, connect in the so, same yeah, city yeah things like that I think it's just like knowing that as a freelancer you, you don't have that network mm-hmm. to ask if they're making the right decision on a project or does this look good because like you're working a lot in isolation also too if you're working for an overseas client you actually don't have anybody yeah. that you can talk to mm-hmm. I think I did one project where I realised I'm not spoken to the human out loud for like four days really because i'd just been in my house like freelancing yeah i was like i'm not actually spoken to a human i have Um, have days like that and then my boyfriend comes through the door so i think it's things like that like encouraging them to meet others and like build their own networks basically just having a kind of more modern flexible and like just a better relationship to work and how you see it exactly and not just benefiting the company yeah Rhiannon, how did you find people to help build Travel Talk to what it is now? Yeah, so um, as I said, I sort of try to attract like-minded people because you want to sort of create a company culture and obviously you are very much part of the brand from day one. Um, But yeah, I really rely on experts in their area. So um, we, I've sort of contracted in everyone around me. So I have a PR agency. I have a social media agency, Born Social. I have um, a product development agency, Solid State. So within those agencies, there's at least five to six people working on my uh, project on Travel Talk. And so, but but that's very cost effective for me, of course, because I've hired them on their expertise and and on a time and materials basis and. Um, I've toyed around with bringing people in-house, but actually that is a high cost when we are a mobile startup. And, um, you know, sometimes there's not enough work for someone to do eight hours one day, but then there's plenty of work the following week. Hence, it's better for me to work with agencies. And I think it is very tough to know how to handle agencies if you don't come from an agency background because their fees can appear quite high. But for example, I have very, very flat operating costs at around £5,000 a month to run um, my mobile application and have a social media agency. And then of course, marketing spends on top, but it allows me to access the best um, thinking around a particular topic. And of course, those people in turn have links to investors um, or links to other people. For example, I've been recently looking for an accountant. So they refer me to an accountant and um the UX UI team um, that originally worked on the app over two years ago are friends with somebody who has um, a TV show in Australia and they've introduced me. So it's really interesting to see people that I've worked with over the two years come back because they enjoyed working with you. Mm. That's How do you find, like, because I find some, some of the problems that we've had along the way, especially like thinking when we've done website redesigns, stuff like that is our communication hasn't been the best like our brief so that the work itself isn't the best and I find that kind of client agency relationship can be quite challenging because sometimes I don't even know how to say what I'm trying to say in a succinct way so do you find it a challenge to make sure that your your expectations are kind of managed in terms of what you tell them and what you get for that 
It, it can be, but I think it really comes from 10 years being on the other side of the fence. Um, and, you know, I sort of my expertise in many ways was um, crisis management. So clients can be very demanding and that's fair enough because they're paying a lot of money and you need to sort of understand what their goals and expectations are and also let them know if there's blockers coming up. So it's it's all about a partnership rather than one person's doing something for the other. And it is down to the person who represents that agency. But as I said, I, I really try to encourage it um, that it's a partnership. I'm not telling them what to do. Um, and they are sort of responsible in many ways for growing my brand um, yeah. and I'm grateful for that and there's like value in their work exactly. and making them feel that in terms of brand value and identity like that's supposed to be the theme of this week's show but we've just been having a general chit chat um how can you build a brand like with a really strong identity and a strong brand voice that's a lot of both of your experiences are on on that brand side what kind of questions should people be asking themselves before launching a brand and how can you bring, build like a good brand voice for yourself Oh, I think the first thing is really knowing who you're talking to. I think a lot of brands create these, um, like profiles or demographics of people that they think are the people that they want to talk to. And then they make a lot of assumptions about how the best way to do that is without either talking to that group of people, mm-hmm. um, whether that's B2B or B2C and actually understanding that we are humans that communicate and trying and actually seeing them as separate entities. I think a lot of brands see themselves as either above or whatever this, the consumer and actually it's a conversation. And yeah. I think a lot of brands forget that. Understanding whether it's right for that demographic to start with. Mm. Do you feel like a lot of brands are going over the, going after the same like millennial demographic? Um, Yes, I think in our company, uh, millennial is a banned word. Um, <laughs> we quite honestly turned down briefs that use demographics because it's not even true anymore. We do a lot of work with audiences and specifically people now don't feel like they're defined by age mm. or gender or nationality or location or um, sexuality. So if a brand's like, we want to talk to ABC one that's between 25 and 35 and they travel four times a year, you're like, well, that could be a lot of people, but also why do they have to be 25 to 35? Because someone that's 18 can feel the same as a 65 year old. Interesting. So like the market isn't as segmented as brands would like to think it is. No, I think they find it easier to do it like that. Yeah. But actually, that's simplifying it mm. so and how, how have your in, have your insights like led to that yeah does the work you so done? we often encourage brands to think more about how to reflect people's values within their propositions and their tone of voice and their offerings like how are you reflecting someone else's values and your values mm. and that way you're much easier to link to somebody whether that's person to person you have a shared connection or whether that's brand to person interesting so not just like this is a product but like you're a millennial have the, this millennial product yeah like, like here's something pink with a unicorn and a yeah, love island logo on exactly. it exactly <laughs> um Rihanna, do you have any tips on creating brand value and like a strong identity with mobile applications customer experience and user experience is 
absolutely key. Um, and further to that, um, we're trying to launch an app. So if you think about, I don't know, an app like Tinder, I mean, obviously it's relevant to all ages, but actually what we do need to do when we're launching is trying to sort of pinpoint who we're aiming at initially. Otherwise, if we're aiming at a broad audience of sort of 18 to 60, we won't really get the message across. So that is actually why we have focused on an 18 to 35 year old audience. But also if you think of the people who are typically traveling, it's usually the people that have just left high school doing a gap year or university, and they continue to travel up to the age that they sort of set it down and have children. Families could use our app, but I personally would prefer, um, you know, them to kind of stick to TripAdvisor, et cetera, and ensure that I focus building our brand around sort of the independent travellers or the Mm -hmm. travellers that are going with their friends who happen to be in the 18 to 35-year-old age group. But what we do in terms of segmentation is if you consider it, I'm Australian, but I live in the UK. So when I travel, I leave Australia and I want to see places that are different from what a British person wants to see when they travel. And also Australians tend to travel in long periods, sort of a year, because it's very expensive to travel one trip back and forwards. Whereas you've got all sorts of different travellers within a UK audience, for example, because you've got the city breakers, you know, they go away for a five-day bank holiday, or you've got people that will take a three-month little sabbatical. Mm -hmm. So, my challenge is really understanding all the unique personas that we're targeting are up to and finding content that's relevant to them. Like you wouldn't suggest someone sells a surfboard in Bondi if they were in London. So you really want that message to get out to someone in Sydney. Whereas if someone's leaving New Zealand and they need to sell a tent and a sleeping bag, then you target that message to them there. So the brand's going to mean different things to different people depending on how they're traveling. And of course, I do want an older audience if they wish to come onto the app, but that's more from an aspirational standpoint the same that now if you look at tinder people of all ages use tinder but personally i suppose you see it most popular within a 20 to 30 year old audience yeah so having like a core audience in mind also like an aspirational one yeah as well how important is social media for you guys like for the brands that you have worked with in the past and and going forward as well um i think every brand includes it in a brief (laughs) and often they it's the one thing they use to understand their audience and how to communicate and I think it's obviously the one of the key ingredients to the marketing mix if that's what you want to call it but I think a lot of brands now we've been working with trying to work towards what we're calling like social impact so we can make content which is like digestible and quick and we can attract people to your social media really quickly but actually is that making like societal change or is it just like clickbait but now on a different medium Mm. which isn't an instagram feed or a twitter and like is that actually yes it's hitting your kpis of like x amount of views and yes your brand might be trending for like two days on twitter but is that really long-term like thinking and i think we're trying to we use social media obviously like to put our message out when we need to but I think we're trying to understand as a brand and as a business is it's long-term effect on marketing Mm -hmm. and is it doing what you actually want it to do it can be a bit of a a flash in the pan with social Mm, I think it's fine if that's what you're using it to do there's absolutely nothing wrong with that but I think because as a business is trying to work on long-term relationships long-term thinking and like social change that it's not always the best way. Mm. So we're kind of playing around with it. As yeah. A, yeah. <laughs> um, just, just to wrap up, my amazing guests, what is the best advice that you have been given personally for your careers? And what advice would you like to give other people um, who are thinking about launching their own thing? 
I guess advice comes from all places. So I couldn't really just say one piece of advice is the right advice. I think you do have to stay true to yourself and be authentic. There's so many people to impress. And if you impress one, you may not impress the other. So I just try and, you know, have my own moral compass and make the right decisions based on that point in time. Um, but I think for anyone who has their own ideas of a company and, and bringing something to life, um, it's certainly a challenge, but it's one of the best challenges that I've ever, ever faced. And I'm so happy every single day that I chose this journey. So I think it, it, you just have to know yourself very well at the time that mm. you start. Mm. And if you don't know yourself, you'll end up knowing yourself a lot better, even if you don't succeed. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think um, my advice would be, which was given to me by a relative, was that you only regret the things that you don't do. Um, so I think it's it's okay to give it a try, but I think you need perspective. I think a lot of people have ideas, which are probably amazing ideas, but they rush to think that speed is like and time is of the essence and actually I think perspective and giving yourself time to really think about things whether that's taking some time off for a week and just thinking about your business before you quit your job or mm. giving yourself space even within a business when you're working on it like not many of us take holidays to just step back and like think and I think we're all in this like rat race of whether whatever city you're in and whatever social media platform you're on or however many clients you're juggling and actually not very often me like slow and get perspective and that would be my advice is to like take time slow down that's <laughs> yeah. very good advice <laughs> if people would like to find out more about you guys and about your businesses where can they find you online um on our website theakin.com <laughs> nice and easy so you can download Travel Talk on both the App Store or Google Play and just to point out it's T R A V L T-A-L-K. So, yeah. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Mm-hmm. 
looking for a new workspace, there's a home for you at Worklife. Worklife specialises in private offices, hot desking and happiness. Whether you're looking for a coffee shop alternative or a private hub for you and your team, they've got options for all. What's more, this summer, they're hosting a special summer open house where throughout the summer, you can get a free space to work in for a week. Find out more at work.life. And don't forget to subscribe to the show. been a candy store production for work life hosted by angelica malin and produced by van connor t-shirt weather by poddington bear appears under creative commons 3.0 with podcast recording facilities in partnership with work life visit work.life for more information you can find us at candystoreproductions.co.uk want flexibility take yoga want flexibility with your health insurance Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.